When I was in high school, way back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, uh, we were required to read certain books. Catcher in the Rye, All Quiet on the Western Front, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Great Gatsby, Romeo and Juliet, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name. And yes, we had to memorize parts of it and perform it in class. <laughs> Awkward. And then, the Scarlet Letter. Now, I don't think anyone reads that book anymore, but by show of hands, how many of you have read The Scarlet Letter? <gasps> wow, a good 40% of us. Wow. The Scarlet Letter is set in 1600s Boston, and it centers around a woman named Hester Prynne, whose husband was delayed in England and who turned up pregnant. <gasps> she has committed adultery, and she has a baby, a baby girl, but she won't name her lover, and so they make her wear this red letter A that tells everyone she's an adulterer. And later in the book, we find out again, oh, gasp, that her lover was none other than town pastor Arthur Dimsdale. Now in 2018, we can get that part because it's like every month, right? You read about some pastor somewhere that is in an adulterous or inappropriate relationship. So yes, today we're going to wade into the seventh commandment. You must not commit adultery because we're in the middle of a series on the 10 commandments. And I remind you that these tell us what it means to be truly, fully human. And they tell us the kind of God that God is because of what he cares about. I am not gonna talk about today what marriage is and isn't. I'm not gonna talk about sex and sexuality. I refer you to two major series that I've done since 2012, and, and you can wade into those kinds of things. I am going to address adultery adultery and spiritual adultery. And I'm gonna do that because faithfulness matters. Faithfulness matters. They always like to see if they can interrupt us. That's their goal, by the way, next door. Um, faithfulness matters because infidelity, infidelity always affects a lot more people than just the husband and wife. Infidelity affects a ton of people, okay? So what exactly is adultery? According to Wikipedia, which we know is a bastion of conservative religious thought, Wikipedia says that adultery is extramarital sex that is considered objectionable on social, religious, moral, or legal grounds. And then they add, historically, many cultures have considered adultery to be a very serious crime. Really? I want to get on my Spock voice at that point and say, fascinating, Captain. Like, really? A serious crime? Like, from where we stand today, does that not seem, you know, a little odd? Because it seems like, you know, everybody's doing it. And if you're a pastor or a divorce lawyer, you report skyrocketing cases, it seems, of adultery. So it seems odd. But ironically, the data says otherwise. There's a comprehensive set of studies done that say adultery in the United States is about one out of five married 
people. So one out of five married people will commit adultery. And that can be sex with no romantic involvement. In other words, it's just something that they claim is just physical, but there's no relationship, no emotional connection, they claim. There's the romantic involvement. They're emotionally and relationally invested in someone other than their husband or wife, but there's no sex. And then there's both, which is what many of us consider a traditional affair, right? And so one out of five, on the one hand, seems like a lot, right? If I were to tell you at Lexington Bluegrass Airport right before you got on an Airbus A320, if I were to say, I just want to tell you that the odds of all of the engines falling off of this plane mid-flight are one out of five, <laughs> would you get on the plane? No, no, you wouldn't. You'd be like, well, one in 175 million, okay, I'm, I'm going to get on board, but one out of five, no, 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 no. So on the one hand, it seems like a lot, but on the other hand, given how hypersexualized our culture is, one out of five's not bad. Like, I mean, it's, you would think it would be, might be a little higher than that. So again, it's kind of this matter of perspective. And we get one out of five, by the way, uh, from this comprehensive study uh, completed by the Archives of Sexual Behavior. I've always thought that would be an amazing business card. I work for the Archives of Sexual Behavior. Um, and they tell us that adultery rates really do fluctuate over time. Believe it or not, some decades and some moments in history, they're a little higher, and some moments and dates in history, they're a little lower. They do fluctuate, but this is relatively within the realm of what they consider to be normal. For those of you that are curious also about data, uh, the United States does have an adultery capital, and it is Washington, D.C. <laughs> okay? It, it, I, I will leave that for what it is. God, God has a lot to say about all of this. He does. And in Exodus chapter 20, he spells it out very clearly. You must not commit adultery. Adultery is any kind of marital infidelity by a husband or a wife. Um, and it's so serious that in Deuteronomy chapter 22, the punishment for adultery is spelled out. And it's, we're going to read this and we're going to be like, what? Okay, so if a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. In this way, you'll purge Israel such evil. Suppose a man meets a young woman, a virgin who's engaged to be married, and has sexual intercourse with her. If this happens within a town, take him out and stone him to death. The woman's guilty because she didn't scream for help. The man must die because he violated another man's wife. In this way, you'll purge the evil from among you. But if he meets the engaged woman out in the country and he rapes her, then only the man must die. Do nothing to the young woman. She's committed no crime worthy of death. She's as innocent as the murder victim. Since the man raped her out in the country, it must be assumed that she screamed, but there was no one to rescue her. So there's a lot of things going on in this. A lot of things, and it's possible you may want to have coffee with me this week and talk about some of it, all right? But I want you to see the one thing here about everything in this passage, which is, wow, the death penalty? The death penalty? It seems so extreme to us for where we stand and live in 2018. And yet, this passage is telling us something important. Adultery isn't just a private matter. 
Adultery isn't just a private matter. It isn't just an offense between a husband and a wife. It affects everyone. A long time ago, I had a friend in her 30s, and she discovered that her father was having an affair. And she was married, her marriage was healthy, they loved each other, all of her siblings were grown up, they were married, they were adults. And do you know what? Her father's affair threw her for a loop. Like she had to, she went into counseling for six months. Her husband complained, I haven't cheated on you. Like, why are you treating me this way? Because it pushed trust buttons in her. And she was 33 years old, right? In the way we tend to view things as Americans, we would want to say, well, you know, he, you're grown up and gone. What's the big deal about your dad having an affair? Apparently, an affair affects more than just the husband and wife. It affects children, it affects extended family, it affects friends. Here's how I know this. If I were to commit adultery against Jenny, every single one of you in this room would be affected by that, wouldn't you? Okay, it's not a private matter. There's some, uh, there's some big things going on, and at the heart of adultery is really betrayal. And this is what Doug Wilson says, a man who will betray his wife will betray anyone. Because when adultery happens, when a husband or a wife gets into a relationship with someone other than their spouse, they're betraying a, a, a covenant faithfulness that's supposed to be the case, right? You and you only, you first among everyone else, love, honor, and cherish. And that's why it, it stings. As with the other commandments, Jesus has something to say about adultery. And in Matthew 5, he puts it this way. You've heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. We just heard it. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even a good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, throw it away. Better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better to lose one part than the whole body thrown in hell. You've heard that the law says a man can divorce his wife by giving a written notice. I say, a man who divorces his wife unless she's been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Jesus says some very strong things in Matthew chapter five. And what's going on in this moment in culture, in the Judaism of the first century is you had a bunch of people that were obsessing about, well, you can do this, but not that. And if you do it this way, it's okay, but if you're over here, whoa, trouble on you. And they were worried about where's the line? How, where can we go and still be okay? with God. And so you had two schools of thought. The Shammai school of thought said, you, can only, you cannot divorce your wife. You cannot divorce her unless she's committed adultery. And then there was another school of thought called the Hillel school of thought. And they said, look, any reason that you have to be dissatisfied with your wife, just give her a piece of paper. And Jesus is saying to this squabble back and forth, you guys are trying to figure out where the line is and what's acceptable and how far can I go? And I'm telling you that a piece of paper cannot dissolve one flesh. It's not that simple. Betrayal can. 
but a piece of paper can't. And so he's saying something very, very powerful. And the reason is because there's not just adultery, adultery. There's something that all of us do from time to time, which is called spiritual adultery. I don't know if you know this, but throughout the Old Testament, adultery is a metaphor that comes up time and time again from God's mouth through the prophets about how God feels when his people wander off in love and give their heart and affections and longings for something or someone other than God. And it comes up time and time again. God knows what it is to be betrayed. He made people and put them in the garden and they had everything they needed. And they decided, you know what? God's holding out. You know, he says not to eat of the tree of good knowledge and, you know, good and evil, but he's holding out. He's lying to us about this. And so they betray God in the garden. He becomes one of us in the form and person of Jesus Christ. In the person of Jesus Christ, he becomes one of us, fully human, fully God, lives a complete life of integrity. And one of his closest friends sells him out, betrays him, because Jesus isn't living up to what he thought a good messianic king should be. God knows what it is to be betrayed. In the Bible, adultery is a metaphor for spiritual adultery, for betraying God. And because we can understand what the carnage is like and what it's like when a husband or a wife commits adultery, it should help us understand why God gets so furious and passionate in the Bible about it. Um, in Leviticus chapter 20, um, God has some very strong things to say about the Jews, about the Hebrews, because they're, of their use of mediums and going after Molech. Um, in Numbers 15, it's their wayward desires. And again, he calls it a form of adultery. In Deuteronomy 31, they're experimenting with pagan worship. And again, God uses words like you're whoring yourself after. These are sh this very strong language that God, is, that God is using. In Judges 2, it's idolatry. And in Hosea, chapters 1 and 2 were given a, a living picture of spiritual adultery. But now... Bring charges against Israel, your mother, for she's no longer my wife, and I'm no longer her husband. Tell her to remove the prostitute's makeup from her face and the clothing that exposes her breast. Otherwise, I'll strip her as naked as she was on the day she was born. Do you, see, do you feel the fury in this passage, the passion? Uh, I will leave her to die of thirst as in a dry and barren wilderness, and I'll not love her children, for they were conceived in prostitution. Their mother is a shameless prostitute and became pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water, for clothing of wool and linen, and for olive oil and drinks. And a few chapters later, in, in Hosea f uh, 14, God basically says, even though that's the case, even though my wife has gone out and prostituted herself, I can overcome that. And I can bring her back into a f covenant faithful marriage where she's faithful and she's clean and she's whole. I can overcome that. So again, this is a very powerful metaphor. In the New Testament, the church, that's us, we're called the bride of Christ. And Jesus is the groom and the husband. 
And like Israel, we can sometimes commit spiritual adultery. And we do that sometimes when we take the Bible and we say, you know what? I know it says a lot of stuff in there, but I'm gonna live my own life and some book written by different people over a large period of time is not gonna tell me what to do or how to live my life. When we say, Jesus, I like you and I want you to bless me and I want you to fix these things in my life, but I am not gonna have you tell me how to live my life. It's a form of spiritual adultery. When we root our identity in something other than God, when we're looking to our home or the job and promotion that we get, got, just got to tell us who we are and that we're valuable and we're important rather than letting God tell us who we are. Just like in the song we just sang, right? God wants to tell us who we are and let that be enough. It's a form of spiritual adultery. Gang, faithfulness matters. Faithfulness matters. Okay, I have a couple of questions in light of these passages. Uh, and today, I, I wanted a number, I wanted us to see how adultery plays out in the scriptures as a whole. It's a, it's a big theme. It comes up time and time again. The first question is, if you're married, if you're married, would you be willing to see your relationship as a picture of faithfulness for others? Would you be willing to see your marriage as a picture of faithfulness for others? And then for all of us, would you be willing to be faithful? Would you be willing to be faithful? I wanna make this as practical as I can. So I wanna talk to the direct application of you must not commit adultery, okay? And so I wanna talk to you that are, for those of you that are husbands and wives, I have some things I wanna say to you. Avoid crossing the line of more than a friend with someone of the opposite sex who is not your husband, not your wife, okay? Um, th these are things you should watch out for. When you think of that person more than you think of your spouse, if you wish your spouse was more like that person on an ongoing basis, if you begin to fantasize about a sexual encounter with that person, again, all of these are warning, 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 <laughs> okay? And I would say, just like the movie, run, Forrest, run, <laughs> run the other way. Break up the relationship, be honest with your spouse. Don't be alone with them and listen. When you're married, you are a creature of habit and if any part becomes slightly physical, your hand goes somewhere, you're kissing, I'm gonna tell you right now, it's hard to stop, okay? So just know these things, right? Avoid crossing the line of more than a friend. If you're, if you're married, take the prayer test from time to time. Here, I know this from my own marriage. When there's a wall between Jenny and me, when, when Jenny's upset with me, or I'm mad at Jenny, or one of us is majorly dissatisfied in the marriage, holding hands and praying together is virtually impossible. This is why Jesus says what he does about when you have something with someone, leave your gift on the altar, run, go, make amends, because you can't worship when things are wonkadoodle that way. That's why churches, it's hard to worship when there's a church split about to happen, because they're all mad at each other. Okay, so the prayer, I call it the prayer test. 
So if you can hold hands and pray with your wife, pray with your husband, that's a good indicator that things are healthy. If, if it's hard, it's possible there's a wall. Now it's possible also because of your upbringing, like it's hard for you to do that, and we can talk about that this week. But, but the prayer test is another one. If you're tempted, if right now you're here and you're like, you know what, there is someone other than my spouse, and I'm thinking about them a lot, and I wish my spouse were like them, and I'm, I've been wondering if I would be better off with them. Today, would you do me a favor? In the book, in the, in the Bible, would you just read Proverbs chapter five and Proverbs chapter six? Proverbs chapter five, Proverbs chapter six. I, I've been in ministry 20 some years now. I've, had, I've run across many cases of adultery. If I were to line them up here in front, there's not a single one of them would, that would stand up here, look you in the eye and say, you know what? best decision I ever made. No one would say that, not one, okay? If you're broken, okay, Psalm 130. Um, Psalm 130, let's see if I can, how quickly I can find my Psalms. Psalm 130, verses one to four. I want you to hear these words. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call to you for help. Hear my cry, pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who could survive? No, you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on it, Lord. If you're broken because this is part of your story, I wanna remind you, adultery is not the unforgivable sin. It's not. If God can overcome spiritual adultery, God can overcome adultery adultery. I don't know if you know this, but among American couples that experience adultery, did you know that 70% of them stay together? You'd think it would be reversed, but 70% of them stay together and decide, you know what, we're gonna work it through. Lastly, be faithful. Spiritually, be faithful here at Generations. I can tell you as a pastor, I know what it is from time to time to feel betrayed. We have three different types, groups of people that kind of matriculate out of Generations. Uh, one group is uh, they become Generations alumni. They move to another state and they're Generations alumni in Michigan, in Tennessee, all over the world. Uh, there's another group uh, where they get stirred and God's wanting them to step out in faith and do something new and different stretching. Um, when we paid for, prayed for Dan and Paige Rohe because they were like, you know what? We're not gonna live in Jesmond County anymore. We're rooted in Lexington. We should be in a church in Lexington. And we were like, yeah, you should. <laughs> and we prayed for them, sent them off. And then there's a third group of people and it has two facets. One, uh, there are people who come in and they're kicking the tires on Christianity and they don't know if Jesus is God, they don't know uh, whether they wanna follow God or not, and within two or three years, they either end up following Jesus or they just drift away. And I get it, and that's how it plays out. Jesus experienced the same thing. The last little group is the part that sometimes pricks at my heart, and these are the believers. And they'll be missing uh, from events, from Sunday services, and I'll do the shepherding thing, and I'll call, hey, what's going on? Well, we've been busy, or we've been traveling, or we've been sick. And six months later, they'll fess up and tell me a story. Well, actually, we're at this other church because they've got fog machines, or their pastors are better looking, or <laughs> you know, any number of things, right? And in that moment, 
in that moment, I'll, be, I'll realize, oh, I thought this was a covenant relationship thing, and I was just a spiritual provider, okay? So faithfulness matters. Uh, I know this is true because I do a lot of weddings. I do a lot of weddings. In a couple of weeks, uh, Emma and Scott, who the one Sunday every seven, they're off and they can sit right there. They're getting married in a couple of weeks. And a lot of times at a wedding, what will happen is they get some cheesy DJ and it's at the reception and they, and they do the thing where they're like, all right, all the married couples, get out onto the dance floor. And Jenny and I did this a couple of years ago. It was Jason and Ellen's wedding in Illinois. And everybody packed out the little wooden dance floor and we're all doing the awkward dance that you do when you're married and you don't know how to dance really well. Okay, and we're, and we're doing the thing and the, D, the DJ goes, everybody who's been married a year or less, a year or less, sit down. And so, boom, some people clear. And we're dancing and dancing and then, and then he does the whole of five years or less, five years or less, take a seat. And more people disappear from the dance floor. And then he got to 20 years or less, 20 years or less, everybody sit down. And at that moment, I look around and there are three couples left on the dance floor. Jenny and me and two elderly couples. <laughs> and I was mad at that DJ. But when I looked into the eyes of everybody who was seated, it was a different story. When they were looking at us on the dance floor, they had this look of, I want that. That's what I want. That's awesome. Faithfulness matters.